lesson number three, spiritual conflict and evangelism. And uh, we will be kind of, uh, can you pull all that reverb out of my microphone, brother? <laughs> we, 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 we are going to talk, 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 talk about the Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. Thanks, Paul. What's in this? Did you get this out of the toilet? Sometimes my mouth gets so dry I would drink out of a toilet. My dog does it all the time. He's fine. I've seen Bear Grylls drink out of stuff that's way worse than a toilet. So <laughs> uh, I'm just playing. I would never drink out of a toilet. <clears throat> when you're talking about evangelism, this is so, it's so important. Uh, for us in the church to talk about evangelism because it's our call, right? It's, it's the purpose of the birth of the church. It's the plan of God for the continuance and growth of the church. It's all wrapped up in evangelism. It's our responsibility as believers. Lesson number one, I think, um, what was lesson number one? Somebody flip over to lesson number one and just read it. What's it say? Oh, get out of here. What? <laughs> Everyone's a minister. So you can say, I don't even know who preached that. I've been gone for two, the two weeks previous. Pastor did, and then Jay's preached too. Okay. What Jay's teach about? Just random stuff? It was probably something way, way over my head. I'm just telling you right now, Jay's, is, that dude is sharp, okay? That dude is intelligent. It's super intimidating to sometimes even talk to him. Uh, it's neither here nor there. The first one is... Um, it, it, it confirms what I just said. We have a responsibility as, uh, as staff members of a church, as, as a laity within the church, as a body of believers. With the call of God and the, or the conversion of God comes the call of God, right? There is not a, um, you, you don't get a pass with salvation to just step into the kingdom with uh, no strings attached necessarily. Now, there certainly are no strings attached concerning his grace, right? We believe it, or admit our faults, confess, and, and believe that he is and his finished work on the cross. There's no strings attached to that. But as far as your responsibility of stepping into the kingdom, there certainly is a role that we have to play as believers, and that is the role of evangelism. And that's a really big word or a really big uh, um it's the gospel. It's telling people about Jesus. And, and as, um, as simple as that sounds, there are a lot of people that really, really struggle with it for whatever reason. Hence, lesson number two, boldness, right? I think Pastor used the scripture, I think it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 50. It's either 1 Peter or 2 Peter. I think it's 2 Peter chapter 3. That it's our responsibility as believers. Peter encouraged in that letter that we are always to be ready to give a reason for the joy and the hope that we have, right? It is the, it is the foundational scripture for every apologist who has ever studied the word of God looking for the reason, right? That they um, there has to be something in you. There needs to be something in you that, that I used the word earlier, radiates out of you, right? And in, in within all of that, within all of the grace that's been poured out on us and within all of the mercy that God has given us, there has to be a voice from within us that comes out, talks about the goodness of God. And that, in a nutshell, is evangelism. It's the gospel. It's the story of Jesus, 
which is also the reason that we really, really need to um, be more Jace-like in our study. <laughs> he's diligent. He's got to be. That's why he's so intelligent, right? I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem being ignorant and unlearned as long as people can tell that I've been with Jesus because the intellect that I want to hide inside me is the Word of God that testifies of the Son of God who's restoring us to the Father God. That's the call and the purpose of the church. It's evangelism. But it's certainly not without conflict. And the truth of the matter is, is from the very, um, even before necessarily the birth of the church, we see conflict concerning and in opposition to the plan of God for restoring God's people to himself. And I'm not talking about Old Testament, right? I'm not talking about the children of Israel and idolatry and all of those things and uh, and, and idol worship. I'm talking about right on the precipice of the birth of the New Testament church. I can show you conflict even before the day of Pentecost, post-resurrection. And here's the thing about evangelism. Here's the thing about the gospel, the story that we tell. If there is no resurrection, we have no story. Okay? And there have been people that have tried to disprove that and are in the process today. There are people today that are doing all that they can to disprove the resurrection. There have been, um, I, can, I can name a few, right? Have you ever heard of the swoon theory? <laughs> right? It's this idea that was birthed hundreds of years ago that the truth of the matter was that Jesus was unconscious when they put him in the grave and that he just came too. I know, right? The struggle is real to understand that. The, the good news is that there are people who are very, very smart that went a really, really long ways to combat that theory or that hypothesis, that, that, um, that lie from the pits of hell is what that thing was. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is uh, certainly a man can go unconscious from blood loss, right? That's possible. But a man cannot survive a pierce to the heart where blood and water flow. They can't survive all of the things that he endured medically, physically, and, and only be unconscious. And then, if they know that he was in the grave, uh, uh, certain, and listen to this, here's probably the greatest argument, not that I have to, not that I have to defend uh, or, or debate the swoon theory with you. I'm just telling you these thoughts have originated and, and people hold to them today. It's the reason that they don't go out of their way to tell somebody about Jesus because they're not sure that he was dead. He could have just been unconscious. This is what I heard. He could have just been unconscious. Well, if he's just unconscious, I'm going to say it's going to be pretty hard to convince 12 or 11 disciples to give their lives to, to a message of of resurrection power and, and power over death, right? The power over death and all power and all life from a man who is recovering from some pretty serious injuries, right? He was dead and he is alive. <laughs> There's a conspiracy theory where the disciples got together and said, listen, this is the story we're going to hold on to. Okay. 
And then that same, that same Peter that ran from a little girl just a few days earlier, 50 days later, stands up before thousands and said, this is that. That kind of boldness doesn't ride on the back of a conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to happen. And then the, I've even heard this one. This is a funny one. Has anybody ever seen the movie The Case for Christ? It's actually a great movie. Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. There's actually a movement where people believe that Jesus' entire life was a hallucination. Right? Or that, or that his resurrection was a hallucination. That, that after he was resurrected, that people that seen him, well, well here's the problem with that. Um, is that John seen him, and then Peter seen him, and then, if, and then a little bit later, they had to re-hallucinate it because Thomas didn't believe it. Right? And then in 2 Corinthians, we see that, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see that 500 people had the same hallucination at the same time. It's a struggle for me to grab hold of that too, right? I think it's pretty thin paper that that rests on. It's another lie from the pits of hell. There has always been this work of the enemy to try to distort or try to, to uh, um, uh, destroy the finished work of the cross. And the finished work of the cross is actually the resurrection, right? He died so that he could come back to life so that me and you could have power over death, hell, and the grave through his victory on the cross. That's the gospel that we preach, and it has been under scrutiny and the attempted destruction of the enemy from the very beginning of time. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 28, our responsibility is this, and we know this is super familiar passage of Scripture, the Great Commission. It is the title Scripture to this chapter, I believe. I glanced over there today. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and this certainly is post-resurrection, so this is either hallucination or this is the resurrected Christ. You choose. Um, but you want to choose the resurrected Christ. He said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So there is our commission to go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son to teach them. And here is your, um, here, here uh, are your commissioning papers, and here is the ability. Here's, here's how I can, um, here's how I will send you out to know that I have paid the price for your sin to know that I am validated as the Son of God, like, like the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, and you being there and hearing the heavens, seeing the heavens open up and hearing the Father audibly say that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, as if that is not enough. You see me down on the cross. You see me come back from the grave alive and well. And I, therefore, all authority on earth and in heaven is given to me. 
all authority. And within the context and under the power of that authority, I am sending you out because of this. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. I have the power. Go, therefore. That's good. That's good. To, to know that should bring great comfort to you whenever you feel like you're lacking the boldness to say the things that you need to say. Another reason that we need to make sure that we hide the word in our hearts is because the things that we have to say that are outside the word are of no value anyway. The, the message of the gospel is the weightiest words that you can ever speak. And they're found in the B-I-B-L-E. All of it. The, the prophetic intention of God from Genesis to the finished work of God in Revelation. You hide that thing in your heart and I promise you, you are equipped to preach the gospel and prepared to evangelize the word, world and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I can assure you this, it will not be without conflict, but that's okay. Right? It's okay. Look here, here's what he says. Let's back up just a little bit. It's an interesting thing that happened right here. Chapter 28, we see the work of the enemy almost immediately trying to destroy the work of God. In verse 11, it says, uh, let's back up one more, one more. Verse 10, it says, Jesus said to him, he said to the 11, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, verse 11, it says, now while they were going, that's the people Jesus had just told to go, while they were leaving to go to Galilee, Behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. <laughs> so what had happened? Let's think about this for a second. And let's think uh, culturally. You need to go back and understand something real quick. As a Roman guard, as a centurion, as a Roman guard, assigned the responsibility to guard the tomb, of the man what said in three days he would raise up out of the ground, for you to fail at that mission is a death sentence, just so you know that. you did. <laughs> you fail at this mission, you're dead. If, if this guy comes out of the ground, the potential for Roman occupation to be overthrown is absolute because he is, in fact, the king. It's a problem that they're going to have to deal with if Jesus comes out of the grave. And evidently, he had come out of the grave. But these men were so certain that what they had seen and what they knew, that that information had to be shared, and it didn't matter if it cost them their life. Isn't that weird? That people who, who were not commissioned and not called, don't know any, that what they seen was so unbelievable that they had to tell, even if it cost them everything? So it says, now while they, while they were going, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. It's, and don't, oh, don't sell out. <laughs> Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while, he, while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will appease him and make, and make you secure. This is, this is stupid. 
This is very foolish. On all sides, Roman guards, knowing that their failure to guard the grave of the Messiah is going to cost them their lives, go and talk to the chief priests who come up with this brilliant idea. Okay, you tell them that his disciples come and overtook the most well-trained warriors that the world had ever known at that particular time. You tell them that these fishermen and tax collectors rolled up on you in the middle of the night and ambushed you guys, right? And they stole Jesus. These dudes that, that are fishermen and, and vagabonds and, 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 and they certainly weren't bodybuilders come and after they took over, overtook you, then they moved that stone that would have literally weighed tons. They moved it and they stole the body of Jesus. This is brilliant. And then, and then, listen, we understand that you come in and confessing these things to you. If it gets to the governor's ear, you're toast. But we slide him a little money under the table. We'll do anything to hold on to Judaism. That's what they were saying. We'll We'll do anything to make sure that this message doesn't get out. If it gets to the governor's ear, we'll make sure and give him some money to appease him as well. Before Christ had even commissioned the church, this religious organization, these chief priests, the people who wanted control and who wanted to maintain power of the temple and the church, they would do anything that they could to make sure that this message doesn't get out. And still to this day, the enemy is doing everything that he can to make sure that this message doesn't get out. Because it's the only message that gives life. It's the only way to the Father. It's the only hope of eternal life and glory that we have is the message of the cross and the resurrection. It's the message of the man Jesus Christ. And if you believe for a second that you don't have the responsibility to tell everybody that you know about that, First of all, you have to ask yourself this question. Do you, do you believe it? That's, settle that in your heart. Do you believe the message of the cross? Absolutely uh, unwavering. You believe that the word is true, that Christ is who he said he was, that he rose from the dead. He's the only way, the only truth to the Father. Do you believe that? Amen. 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 Do you believe that people that die and have to face judgment without hearing that or without being discipled into that, without being told that in a very loving and intentional manner and not receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will go to hell? Do you believe that? Amen. Then then there should be a heaviness and a responsibility that rests on our lives that cannot be shaken by anything. Certainly not by fear. Certainly not by confusion on whether or not I'm even called to say and to do because you certainly are. I understand that he commissioned 11 right here, 11 men. But then in all of the New Testament, we jump over into Acts and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We seek after it and we long for it. We desire it and we believe that it's doing everything that it says to do. We, we have... if. <laughs> We have to guard ourselves 
against becoming this hyper-charismatic church that believes that the only reason that the Holy Spirit came was so that we could function in the gifts. You better check yourself in the very first chapter of Acts, verse, chapter 1, verse 8, where, it said, where Jesus says to go into Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will give you the power to be my witnesses. A witness is somebody that testifies about the things that they know and see. And I know when I see Jesus, I've experienced him. I have this responsibility and empowerment by the Holy Spirit to tell people about that. And the enemy will do all that he can to make sure that that message is not advancing. And he, he's no idiot. I mean, some of the things that we see him do when we recognize and realize it's his work, we go, you're an idiot to the enemy. But the truth of the matter is, is the, 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 the farther I think that we get away from the resurrection and the closer that we get to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sharper he gets. I don't know, I can't confirm this in scripture, but it seems to me that he's figuring things out. And he'll twist and he'll manipulate. And we recognize new works of him all the time. Perhaps he's always been the same and that we're just now getting um, privy to his way of destruction. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. I had been reminded of it at Farron Galloway's house at Life Group. You need to go to Life Group. If you're not plugged into a Life Group, plug. Here's the plug. You need to go to a Life Group because it will strengthen you. It will increase your faith, it will deepen you, um, it will connect you greater to the church that you call your, your home and your family, get in a life group. I have forgotten about this letter. It's a book called The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, it's an old, old book. And I had read and I was reminded of it, and it is so true. And I think that as that book ages, the truths contained in it are stronger and stronger. It's about a... Um, about a general in the in Satan's army who is issuing orders to a lesser soldier in Satan's army named Wormwood, and he's Wormwood comes to him and he's got questions and this this dialogue back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And one of the most profound things that he, that Screwtape tells Wormwood in this book. Wormwood comes to him and says, well, don't we need to try to draw people out of the church? Don't we need to try to get them out, just, you know, get, get them away from it, try to do all that we can to keep them from coming to church? And Screwtape says, no, you don't have to do that. He said, distract them while they're there. Just distract them while we're there. It's a more powerful, subtle work of the enemy to distract us while we're here. And you know what the enemy has done really, really good at distracting us from? Evangelism in the church. Because I do not want to show a hands because I would be ridiculously convicted myself. But when is the last time that you asked somebody or had a a conversation that amounted to anything that was truly and authentically evangelistic. I talk to a lot of people about Jesus, 
But I'm talking about coming to a place of just out-and-out boldness and directness and, and supporting that, that, um, that forwardness with the Scripture. Because what we have done in a way that we have allowed people to be distracted, even in the church, is to, is to cheapen the gospel by saying that God is just love and that his grace is sufficient even for you to go and do whatever you want to do. Because there's lots and lots and lots of people within the church today who, uh, <laughs> their hearts are not circumcised. And if the enemy can do that, if the enemy, if the enemy can allow us to receive that live grace, because that's, that's, not, that's not the grace that Paul talks about in Romans for sure. <laughs> right? Paul said this, so was grace given so that you could continue in sin? God forbid. God forbid. Grace was given. Mercy was given. Because without that sacrifice, we had no hope. But the spirit was given. And the life on the inside. Of, here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing. Let's go, let's go, uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians. But I think we need to start in chapter 3. Let me look. Yeah. Let's start in chapter 3. Listen to this. I, I spoke a little bit earlier about Moses and his face. This, I've been thinking about this as I was studying through. <clears throat> the, the glory that was on Moses and the reason that he veiled his face is actually revealed a lot deeper right here than it is when we see him come off of the mountain in Exodus. <laughs> Y'all want to hear something funny? I heard this today, too. <laughs> Moses, the only man that broke all Ten Commandments at one time. <laughs> Get it, because he threw the stone down. At the t- <laughs> Come on, people. This is Christian comedy. That's the cleanest joke you'll ever hear in your life. That's funny. <laughs> Moses, I think, and, and I think that Paul does a good job of, of confirming that here. The glory that Moses was veiling his, himself from being in the presence of God, but I believe that he veiled himself not because the people couldn't stand necessary to look at him, but he didn't want them to see that glory fade. And Paul talks about it here that that glory was fading. He veiled himself so because that glory was fading. But that glory was the result of a reflection the glory that's in us has to be the result of a radiance. Something on the inside of us. So the things that we see in this place, right? The things that you come in here and sit down and experience with your eyes and with your ears are not enough. The thing that gives us life is the person that we come in here and meet with that produces life on the inside of us. And and if we don't 
And if we don't give ourselves to that, then evangelism will never be anything that we want to do. It will never even be on our radar because of countless reasons. And they can be as simple as I just didn't have time. I, I, I didn't have time to talk to them. Oh, I didn't have time. I'm sure it took a little bit of time out of Jesus' schedule to go to the cross, but whatever. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3. In the book, they took us to uh, conflict and evangelism. What has happened to unbelievers? What has happened to unbelievers? Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. But I wanted to back up because it's kind of a... If you just read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it's pretty vague on the real context of the Scripture. So let's back up to chapter 3 and, and look and starting in verse 70, uh, 7. It says that, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So he's saying, and, and, and the ministry of, of, um, of the law or the ministry of death, that's an interesting thing to call it. If the ministry of death wasn't glorious, that doesn't, that doesn't sound very glorious, Right? But the problem with them, and this is something that you need to know, it wasn't that the law was bad. The problem with the law is that we couldn't keep it. So it was, in fact, a ministry of death. Paul said it this way, I didn't know I had sin until the law showed up, right? So that's why they call this the ministry of death here, written and engraved on stones. He's talking about the law that brought death, but what it did was foreshadow Christ. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? He's talking about Jesus here. For the ministry of condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. So in comparison to the glory that the ministry of death or that the law had, the perfection and the beauty of the law that Judaism and, and, and the Jews even today, which is interesting, poor guys, Without blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. They have been struggling since 70 AD. <laughs> you know, it's just to make sense, whatever. But that glory that they're trying to produce by obeying the law, it pales in comparison to the glory that the Spirit poured out. So it says, for even what is made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. And therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. He says, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face that so then, listen. He put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lies on their hearts. The reason, and, and here's the deal, here's what, what you needed to know. You need to build a little bit of context because he's talking right here about people of that day who were even veiled, right? 
in that time, they were still trying to hold on to the law. They're still trying to be righteous according to the law, not understanding that the law doesn't produce glory in you. The law produces sin and condemnation, but Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection produce glory, and it is eternal, right? Produces this amazing righteousness that can't be found anywhere else. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the, spirit, or now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And therefore, therefore, because of that, because we can be transformed, because of Christ, because of where the Spirit of the Lord is, we have liberty and freedom from that law of condemnation, and we step into this place of grace. Because of that, a veil has been lifted. And therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I love the fact that he says right there, not handling the word of God deceitfully. We, we have done, um, I don't know, not we. That's not a good word. People, the enemy, yeah. The enemy has done such a great job of having his fingerprints and his handprints all over the church. And, and I, I, I'm not, I don't say that to try to instill fear, right? I don't, that's not the purpose of it. For me to say that you need to caution yourself, you need to really guard yourself about what church you go to and about the people that you call uh, your family and about the pastor, the shepherd, that, that you are a member of that flock. I'm not saying that to try to instill fear or try to get people to run here. I'm just saying that you need to practice caution in every area of your life where somebody is going to come in and instill something in you or sow something in you. Because the enemy's wicked, man. And what can happen today is people can water down the word of God. They can dilute it with, with, this, um, with this distorted doctrine, a distorted uh, gospel that doesn't produce life. And they can dilute it so heavily that you don't even recognize what you're being fed unless you know the word of God. That's the, that's the fear and, and, and the danger of living in a society that is, as Jojo uh, always says, the most biblically illiterate uh, uh, society that we've ever lived in. And, and here's the problem with that. You don't have to read anymore. It's even when I was younger, because we didn't have it. I had to go to the library for some of the things that I had to do in school, which was stupid. I'm surprised they even have libraries. I'm, I'm not lying. I'm surprised they even have libraries at school. Who reads books anymore? Right? We, we, we can allow entertainment, the age of entertainment, accessibility to everything in the world at a touch of a button, distract us completely from reading a book that is more precious than anything. 
It says, the heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will endure forever. This man, this, I don't know God's will for my life. because you don't read your word. And Paul said this. He said, having this ministry of grace, having this liberty, he said, here's what I vowed to do. And he said, I will do it with absolute boldness. I will not handle the word of God deceitfully. I will not preach to you even the things that I know out of the law. See, right? The, the pastor talked about it last week when he talked about um, Paul, Saul being converted to Paul. He didn't go straight to the disciples to try to figure all of this stuff out, right? He was a super intelligent guy. He knew the law. And he knew that these Christians were breaking it. And so he, was, he had letters in hand to kill people that, or arrest people that was trying to do this Jesus thing. And there's something about having a whole lot of knowledge and intellect and then God taking the spirit and connecting those dots. So if you can hide the word right now in your heart, even if you don't know it, pray that the Holy Spirit reveals it to you and he can do it. This Paul says that he went off to Arabia, right? And he hung out there in prayer, meditating on the law, meditating on the things that he knew, meditating on the prophets. He was, he was tracking back over Psalms. I think it's 22. This is where they pierced my hands and my feet. And he's going, crucifixion wasn't even a thing. They didn't even know what it was. Why did he write this? He's reading in Isaiah 53 and he's going, no way. That was about Jesus. He's connecting all of these dots, right? And then when he is certain that he has a firm handle on the truth of what the gospel is, then he shows up and he writes things like this. I refuse to handle the word of God deceitfully. I'm not going to use it to manipulate you for money. I'm not going to use it to manipulate you for power. I know the word of God and I'm going to use it to draw you into the presence of the Lord. Do we know the word? Are we passionate enough about the word that that is in us? And in the face of any conflict that we, that we might come in contact with, do we have the wisdom and the understanding and the boldness and the assurance of Christ in us to be able to face and push through? Verse 3 of chapter 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Hmm. Seems, it seems very, uh, it seems very relevant for today <laughs> to me. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. So what's happened? The God of this age has veiled them. He's blinded them. He has distracted them. And, and it's an it's a epidemic. It's, it's actually really odd that we would even come to this place being Westerners. 
<laughs> we, we're under the misconception that Christianity originated here. We're sending people all over the world <laughs> to preach the gospel. If you read back in Acts, you've been my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. Well, guess where we are? We're the uttermost part of the world where the gospel took a minute to get to, right? <laughs> the Jews knew Asia, or, or, or the disciples knew Asia. They knew Africa. <laughs> they didn't know nothing about us. The gospel made it here. Praise the Lord. That same commissioning that he gave to those 11 to go into all the world and preach the gospel, it has been issued to us today. The same word that they dealt with in the Old Testament, we have it. The same letters that empower the church all over the world today of Paul and the epistles of Peter and the writings in the New Testament that they use, we have them today. We are empowered by the same spirit that, that showed up on the day of Pentecost where the explosion birth of the church happened. That stuff is here today. And our responsibility is to step out of cowardice, to step out of ignorance and into a knowledge of the word, to step out of complacency, to step out of, of um, um, this status quo or cookie cutter, Jojo, another Jojo term, cookie cutter uh, um, gospel or salvation or walk with Christ that we live in and to be countercultural to everything that we know here. We live in the Bible Belt. Praise the Lord for that. But, oh, no. The struggle is real in the Bible Belt, perhaps more than we even know, because nobody in the Bible Belt is without Jesus. If... Well... And I guess we all have a past then. We don't have to tell nobody. That's watering down the word. That's handling the word of God deceitfully. And here's the truth of the matter. And I am so, this is This is one thing that I have always, always done, that I've never done. Always never done. I have always never done this. <laughs> I've been very, very intentional my entire life of not judging people's worship by what I see. Absolutely never. Because I know that worship is an internal thing that's expressed outwardly and it's expressed differently by everybody. And I understand that people's just like character, just their disposition has a lot to do with the way that they worship. I get it. Reserve people worship reserve, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not having an epic experience of glory in their hearts, right? So I will never judge you according to what I see where your worship is. Absolutely never. But <laughs> I think that we have the responsibility, according to the word, to know a fruit or know a, a tree by its fruit. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, I, <laughs> I am the vine, the true vine. And you're the branches. And it says this, that you will be known by your fruit. And so if the church of today confesses relationship with the God of all eternity, then there has to be fruit evident in your life. 
And what that does is it produces an avenue for us to step into the world of a, right here, you like the believer, Christian. <laughs> and it gives us the opportunity to see their lives lived out in front of the entire world. And it may or may not give us the opportunity to talk to them about their relationship. And we can handle them directly and boldly through the authority of the word. And here, here's the thing that will embolden you in that, right? I, I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> Listen, Colossians said that, that in verse uh, 2, verses 8, and you actually need to read all the way through verse 15 because it's awesome what he says is it puts he says it, that he puts principalities to shame well, you need to know this that there is a very real enemy that's deceiving the church today there is conflict in the church concerning evangelism you will be met head on in your attempt to evangelize the world right James tells us this submit to God it's, it's progressive submit to God Resist the devil. That resistance is an opposition to, by the way. It's not like a, ah, it's like a, <laughs> submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll what? He'll flee from you, right? So there absolutely is this understanding that the furthering of the gospel is not without contention. It's not without conflict, but there's good news. <laughs> that Christ has put to shame the principalities. Ephesians says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers in darkness, this, this, this evil, this, this power that is unseen, but that is very real. And it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against those things. But in Colossians, it says that Christ put those things to shame. <laughs> he put principalities to shame. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that'll make you square your shoulders, right? Yeah, you don't know my dad. Huh. What's up? Huh. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 16 to Lydia. It says that the Lord opened her heart as Paul spoke. Don't think that you have to be eloquent enough or even educated enough to try to sway somebody from darkness to light. Our only responsibility is to shine light into darkness. John chapter 6, verse 44 tells us that people only come to the Father unless he draws them. And unfortunately, a lot of people have taken that ram with Calvinism <laughs> we'll talk about that later. It's a simple word that means if you're saved, you're going to get saved. If you're not, you're not. It doesn't matter what you hear, what you go. Where <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? A lot of people have taken that. Unless the Father draws them, they will not come. Well, what that means to you is it, it, it should free you from this responsibility resting only on you to see somebody be saved. Here's the responsibility that rests on you. Christ redeemed you. And Christ told us to go tell his story. And then in the right moment, at the right time, with the right words that are not even your own, they're just trusted because you've hid the word in your heart. And at the right time, the Father draws men unto him.
Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And I understand the context of that. He was certainly talking about if he be lifted up on the cross, he'll draw all men to him. But I'm telling you that if you will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and through your life, you allow the story of the gospel to radiate in you and out of you, it will present you with opportunity to share the greatest story, the greatest truth that has ever been told. And it's our responsibility. And we, fear, we should fear nothing that the enemy could do to try to distract that. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the church. God, thank you that all power in heaven and in earth belongs to you. And then, God, I thank you that I am your son. Father, in all that you have and all that you have promised, Father, you will do because you're faithful. God, let our church be brokenhearted for the lost and the dying. Let our church Father, be brokenhearted for those trapped in confusion and deceitful doctrine. God, let those in our church that are be set free by the truth of your word. God, and let us, let us, Father, experience the fullness of who you are, the fullness of your liberty by your spirit, Father. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. For the cross, thank you, Jesus, for your power displayed at resurrection. And thank you, Jesus, for an unbelievable hope that lies in us. Help us to get it out. In Jesus' name, amen.